0: Welcome to the Just Get Started Podcast. I'm your host Brian Andreco, and thanks for being a part of this journey. This podcast is all about the getting started moments because let's face it, the first step toward accomplishing anything can be the hardest part. And we cover all the bases. I bring on guests to share their getting started moments and how they overcame obstacles and pressed on, how they built their business from the ground floor, or how they took a chance on themselves to follow their purpose. I also share some solo episodes where I narrate and expand on many of the blog articles I've written around getting started and some of the lessons I've learned along the way. This podcast has been a labor of love for the last several years, and I'm grateful to have you join along and support me on this journey. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Diane von Moltke, who is the founder of Blaze Coaching, a one-on-one coaching platform for athletes. Before founding Blaze, Dion spent 10 years as a professional race car driver. During his career, he won some of the biggest races in the world, such as the Daytona 24-hour, Sebring 12-hour, and became the only American at that time driving for Audi. I really hope you all enjoy this conversation I had with Dion. So, without further ado, please welcome in Dion Van Moltke. Yeah, and welcome to the podcast, man. Glad to have you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is a lot of fun and uh, excited to, you know, as I as I did some research, it, it's always interesting for someone, you know, like yourself, and I'm curious to know where you take this of like, you know, mm-hmm. you're a, a professional athlete, you, you have race, which, which seems so difficult. It seemed, you know, it's, it's just, I, I hear stories about race car driving. I'm curious your thoughts on there. Maybe we'll get into, but yeah, totally. And then transitioning, though, this is where I wanted to start is, mm-hmm. you know, we all have different moments in our life, things that kind of got us on a certain path. And I'm curious if you could share, is there a, a kind of a getting started moment for you and and maybe take it, you could take it from anywhere, but I'm curious of, you know, probably when you started as a as a race car, you know car driver, you thought you were going to do that for your life. Like, oh, I'm going to do this forever, right? You know, hundred percent. But at some point, there was a transition, and I'm curious when the inception of you know this business. I can and,
1: walk you through exactly how that happened. Yeah, I'm curious. How, yeah, how did totally. that start? So you know, motorsports, as with almost any sport, is a really difficult business to make a career in, right? There's a ton of competition and and the business side of motorsports is exceptionally difficult because of how expensive the sport is, right? So the form of racing that I was in is uh, endurance sports car racing. So if anyone's ever heard of stuff like the Le Mans 24 hour or Sebring 12 hour, Daytona 25 hour, that's the the type of racing that I was doing. And, you know, as, as a driver, you are almost always on year by year contracts. And the, the ultimate goal is to go and drive for a manufacturer. To get hired by a, a GM, an Audi, a Porsche, whatever it might be, a Ferrari. Uh, and that's typically where the security is, and, or job security, I should say. So in, in my career, during my career, which was you know, late 2010 through about 2017, 2018, really the top manufacturer, what everyone wanted to drive for was Audi. That was like the, the manufacturer. And I found myself in a, in a really special spot, a special opportunity where I was the only American really kind of driving Audi's, but I wasn't driving before Audi. And I kind of came across this opportunity where my teammate was that like factory Audi supported driver. And I fared pretty well against them. Like my results were great. And you'll find it in our race, it's kind of like a relay race almost where, mm. you know, one driver will start, you come in for fuel and tires, and you actually do a driver swap because our races are so long. Mm. And so your teammate is the teammate, but they're also sort of your biggest competitor because they have the exact same equipment. So you're working together to win the race, but you're also want to be faster than the teammate, right? Because that's what all the teams and the opportunities look for. And so I, I had this opportunity. We did well. We finished in the championship. We had, you know, five podiums. And we did really, really well. And I went to, to Audi Motorsport, uh, really Audi Sports, what they call And I said, hey, like, what do you think about hiring me? And they kind of said, well, we, we can't hire Americans because it's a German brand. You have to talk to Audi of America. So I went and talked to Audi of Americans. Said, well, we don't hire race car drivers. Hmm. So, like, what do we do now? And my dad actually gave me the idea, like, why do they have to hire you as a race car driver? Why can't they hire you in a marketing role where you're sort of a brand ambassador, they pay you for that, but then they recommend you as a driver. So I actually got to go and essentially pitch Audi of America's CEO, Scott Keogh at the time on this and they loved it. it was like, great, let's do it. Um, What I didn't realize is that now I'd have to be working more in the corporate, as well as I'm driving race cars, you have to work with corporate. And that's where I really quickly learned that corporate roles aren't for me. Um, So I quickly got myself fired after one year, not because of my on-track performance, but because I pissed some people off on on the corporate side of things and tried to, I got tired of like stupid responses and doing stupid stuff. And I wanted to break through it and it didn't work out too well. So then I kind of got into this weird spot where I would lost my full-time ride, and, and I was on a race-by-race race contracts, and I wasn't performing that well because, you know, like I literally got calls like on a Wednesday, Dion, our driver's sick, come out and drive, and I'd like never driven the car. i get it for the race figure it out, and you still perform pretty well, but not up to the ultimate standards. And at the end of the year, it was clear. I was like, you know, I can keep trying to go and maybe I'll coach a little bit on the side and keep hoping that I find an opportunity, but you're not making that much money. Nothing's guaranteed. And I was sort of like, you know, what's next in my life? You know, I was at the time 28, 29. Um, and I was sick and tired of sort of being at the mercy of other wealthy people and whether they're going to choose me as their driver or not. And at the time I was kind of talking to my dad a little bit, who's always kind of been there and was talking to my now wife. And we're trying to figure out like, what do I do next with my life? Right. My dad just happened to meet this old soccer player who was a professional player that now coached and was crushing it essentially. And this guy started was like, honestly, I just started posting videos online of me explaining something. I had no idea what it would turn into, but it's turned into a great business. So I said, well, I could do that. So literally within a day, I created a Shopify site. I created like five different videos. I posted the videos. And at the time, I didn't know what this was. I was like, hey, let me just create a library where you can buy the library. You can book a one-on-one call with me. And then within the first day, I had
0: a first couple of customers booking one-on-one calls with me. Um, and you can, I, can I interject Were you, you yeah. were posting on like how to drive or were you posting on yes. something else or no, no. Like how do
1: you learn to drive race cars? So there's like, there's thousands of amateur grassroots racers across the country that kind of knew my name that watched me on TV. So I was like, Hey, I can, I, I know I can coach this. I'm actually really good at coaching this. So let me just post some videos. Cause there's some information online, but most of the information is just crap. To be lack of a better words, it's not good. So let me just kind of share some knowledge. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what it what, what it would turn into. And for me, it's like that's when I started thinking, okay, what do we, what can I do? Like, what do I want to do? And the initial idea was, well, I want to help the sport grow, amateur racing. And if you talk to almost anyone, even by our fans, they have no clue that you can take your car out on a racetrack, drive it flat out, and it could cost you as little as like a couple hundred bucks. And so I, I can like, take
0: my I can take my. 2007 trailblazer out and just go hundred percent there's
1: tra- <laughs> a, something called HPD high performance driver education days where, where
0: are you based by the way i'm in uh, north carolina,
1: just, north outside carolina. Of,
0: just outside of raleigh yeah
1: i literally was just there this weekend flew into raleigh there's a track in virginia international motorsports uh, yep. sorry virginia international raceway um there are if you look up like chin track days or scca or nasa literally a couple hundred bucks you can take your car out have an instructor you can be flat out so one of the big problems I saw was like, nobody even knows about this. So the original idea was build a search and registration site for this because the current competitors there look terrible. And we started doing that. And I found someone to help start building the, the, the development technical side to so help do that, to help pay for it. I was selling these like coaching sessions on the side where it was cheaper and it's asynchronous. And all of a sudden that started to really kick pick off. And then I was, I took a step back and said, wait a minute, like, that's the far bigger idea. That's the thing that I'm more of an expert in. And there's no competition. No one else is doing it. And that's where we pivoted blaze to be really focused on this like asynchronous, but personalized coaching sessions. And that's
0: kind of how things sort of found myself here a couple of years later. So how did you so as you started to kind of formulate that idea, Mm -hmm. and you said, did you you have a a co founder with this? Or what's the how many how many folks started this?
1: Uh, It was just me and my co founder. So, my co founder knows nothing like he used to, he's an Aussie. So, he grew up watching, going to Bathurst and watching races there. And he liked sports, but he knew nothing about motorsports really. So, he's the one that really kind of got the technical side going because that's not my area of expertise. um, And I was able to focus on everything else.
0: And and so the and just so everyone knows, so the idea is it's a one-on-one coaching. So get someone listening in, if yeah. they want to do this, what what's the process they go through just so they have uh-huh. an understanding of the concept before we could dive deeper?
1: So at a high level, the what Blaze does is we make professional, personalized professional coaching more affordable and more accessible. One of the biggest problems I saw in, in sports and even beyond sports is the lack of opportunity to learn from world-class people. It's too expensive. I don't live near them. I don't know who they are, or maybe I'm not even ready for them. It seems intimidating. So how do we break down those barriers? Because personalized coaching makes a huge impact in someone's life, right? So at the same time, the business model for a coach sucks. It's hard to make a lot of money. It's hard to scale yourself. Work-life balance is terrible. There's lots of travel. There's all of these problems. So what I knew was there's thousands of professional athletes, literally thousands that are making okay money, but not great money, like less than 100k a year, that are phenomenal coaches that want to share knowledge, but it's so difficult for them that they have to charge a really high hourly rate that then outprices most of the market. So at Blaze, what we do is essentially say, hey, most videos, most athletes already film themselves. Race car drivers have GoPros in their their car. Soccer players have huddle or VO cameras or a parent filming from their phone. Let's use that video because the secret is all of us on the professional side, we do video analysis. We look at video and use video to coach because that's a much better platform. You take the emotion out of it. You can really show the athlete specifically what they're doing. We can do all of that remotely. We can do all of that asynchronously and we can do it in a way that we fragment coaches' times. So typically... Uh, a soccer coach, a professional soccer coach, top of the line, charging anywhere from $100 to $200 an hour. Well, on our platform, you can get one-on-one personalized attention for them for as little as 30 bucks. And then we also built systems around that that give you like weekly training plans, monthly calls, and they build into like a mentorship model as well. Um, so on the motorsports side, we have people like uh, a Ricky Taylor, who's actively professionally driving right now. Joseph Newgarden who's a two-time IndyCar car champion, still driving for Penske racing on the soccer side. We have current NWSL players like Sarah Waldmo, sorry, most or Cassie Miller, who just played in the NWSL uh, championship game and they're current athletes, they've been in your shoes but then they're also great coaches and they kind of do both together. And it's like a mentor and coach uh, relationship. That's always in your pocket when, whenever you want. And it's far more accessible and affordable. Hopefully that sort of makes sense.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I think about it, you know, I used to be a PJ professional. So I used to teach mm-hmm. golf. Um, have, I, I had awesome. a teaching business. Yeah. And obviously the hands-on instruction is important, mm-hmm. but at the same time, what, what I, I noticed, and one of the reasons I transitioned out, there's several reasons I transitioned out of the, the industry but one of the reasons is I saw the the YouTubes of the world. Like, you know, you'd have people like, well, I just saw this tip online. And I'm like, well. YouTube is one of the worst things to happen to
1: athletes. It's great for the very beginner, but it's terrible for anybody. Like, it's done more damage to
0: athletes than good. Well, and that, and that's where, you know, what I, I see what y'all are trying to do maybe, if I'm correct, is kind of bridging the gap of – you know, yeah, maybe you can't spend multiple hours or go maybe locally, or maybe just the experience isn't there for the type of player. But at the same time, it's you can't just watch videos all day and and say, I'm going to pick it up by osmosis, like having someone there that's been there in your shoes. And because I think, you know, I look at it as more mentorship of like, like taking someone that like you mentioned, some some athletes, let's say from the soccer side. <laughs> well, if my son's growing up, and he's playing and he's improving at soccer and wants to maybe play not so much competitively like professional, but maybe Mm -hmm. at college or do whatever, there's a lot of things that, you may not pick up from a video watching to improve your, you know, your ball handling skills. You need the mental capacity maybe to improve there. So there's a lot of different things you can get from coaching. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to be sitting next to the person.
1: A hundred percent. And like there's, there's so many different angles you can look at here. So mentorship's a big one. The other is like, for example, I'm a, I love playing tennis. I'm a terrible tennis player. I've watched all of the masterclass and YouTube and Serena Williams talking about the serve and, I know, Hey, I'm a good serve. I need to have the right stance. The ball toss needs to be at like 12 to one o'clock. It needs to be high. I need my wrist like this. I need my elbow up. I need to be reaching up. I need to keep my eyes up where we are all very bad at is knowing which one of those eight different things am I actually doing wrong? And which one do I actually need to fix because the rest break because of that one thing, Mm -hmm. right? So I might think it's this, but in reality it's something completely different. And as a coach of motorsports, like I know it sounds like a weird, like like driving race car, it's very technical. It's just as technical as a golf or a tennis or a lot of different sports, right? And 90, like literally almost 100% of the time, a customer will come to me like, man, I just suck at, at trail breaking. I can't figure trail breaking out. I'll watch somebody like, you're fine at trail breaking. It's this other thing that you're doing wrong, right? That we need to fix first. And here's how we're going to go about it. And that's really the magic of what we do at Blaze is you can really get the, here's what you're, this is the specific thing we need to fix first. Here's how we're going to fix it. And it's done in a format that it's short, it's easy, it's concise, and I can go back and watch it and rewatch it. I don't to remember like coach was saying this or was it that or this, you know, you can get really specific with it. Um, I've been blown away at the relationships, the specific and like how effective this video analysis type of coaching has really become. It's, mm-hmm. I, I did not expect it when we started out. But I will, I will now say it's starting to get scary good.
0: Mm. How did you bridge the gap? So it's one thing to have the idea. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I could do a little coaching here or there to actually growing into a business that's, you know, with the intent to obviously bring in revenue to, to make money, um, to make it a bigger platform. What were some of the hurdles early on that you all had to had to jump through?
1: man, there's, a, there's, there's, there's so many and we're still going through them, right? Um, so when we built this platform, it was initially just me as a coach. I was trying to solve my own problem and something that I saw. And I was like, hey, let me literally just see will people pay for it? So all we were doing in the beginning, I was like, here's a PayPal link, purchase it. We sent an email. It's like, Dropbox, me your video. I'll do my little analysis and I'll Dropbox it back to you. as soon as we started to see there's a like not only are people willing to pay for it but people are absolutely loving what we're doing i was like okay well this is solving my problem if i can get other coaches that have a similar name to me um we can then use their profiles and they can promote themselves so we can grow from there so then i reached out to three or four coaches and said hey what do you guys think about this and they're all like oh my god i'm absolutely in and it was just kind of like okay how do we build systems to like build notifications. And then, okay, it was like, well, we can't just rely on Dropbox and email. We got to build a little dashboard for this. And then it just sort of kicked off from there, if that makes
0: sense. How do you, this is always a, you know, is, is the, I guess the perception of a good coach versus someone that's not that good. Like how do you decide, Hey, this person will be a good coach or not. Like what kind of filter system is there?
1: It's a great question. So one of the things that I do at blaze is we have, we're not a platform that we want 100,000 coaches on the platform where anyone can come and coach. We curate all of our coaches. So in motorsports, I personally still curate every single coach. And the great thing about this is I can literally watch them coach customers and decide if that's somebody I want or not. We're doing the same thing in soccer with our lead coach. So there's really kind of a curation process. So for me, what makes a good coach? Um, first and foremost, communication skills. So important. I wouldn't say it's necessarily more important than actually having the knowledge of like what's how to do the technical stuff and like what actually matters, but it's right up there is a bad coach probably knows all the technical stuff of like how do you shoot a three-point shot or whatever it is, but is terrible at communicating it, right? So first and foremost, good communication skills. Number two is really high EQ, emotional, just being able to understand where the athlete is, where the customer is, Hmm. being able to listen to them, be able to to put themselves in that person's shoes, um, and and be able to relate to them. The third part of this is, have you heard the saying, like, uh, unless you can explain it to a five-year-old, you're not good at teaching? Yeah, I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah. Being able to explain something in a very simple manner, in a very concise manner, is so important, so important. Um, so it kind of goes back to communication skills a little bit. And the fourth, especially for us, is what you'll find, this is going to maybe sound a little controversial, but the honest truth here is a good coach is probably 60% to 70% what they're saying. And 30% kind of almost putting on a show, having high energy, being able to have something. You've got to engage the person that's trying to listen to you, right? They've got to be interested. they got to be able to stay interested in you. So as a coach, you've got to be able to have energy, uh, be, get someone excited, know how to relate to someone, and then know how to communicate something effectively. It's kind of like the little recipe I put together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's one of those things I think back again, coaching and, and I still have folks I'll, you know, some friends and. And family that'll want, be like Brian. I need some help with game, or whatever you know. But um, but it goes back to the, the the principles though that I had, you know, kind of, or at least I thought I was, you know, was made me a, a good coach was to keep it simplified. I like the thought of yeah. How do you explain? I think about it as I have, a, I have a young son. It's like how do I explain things to him in a way where he's not going to remember sixteen things? What's 100%. the one thing today? Maybe it's two, depending yeah. on what we're working on, that he could really focus on in order to like, I'm trying to teach him tennis right now. Mm -hmm. And I think about like, I don't know much about tennis besides watching Pete Sampras as a kid. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Serena, I love watching. And you watch some of these professional athletes, but I'm like, I I know how to coach from a golf standpoint, but I know it's more to your point, communication. Mm -hmm. What are, what am I saying the right things in the right order at the right time? Mm -hmm. If you can, if you can uh, grasp that, Mm -hmm it makes a lot of the other stuff a lot easier. If you're just throwing stuff out and uh, phrases just to make yourself look good, that doesn't do any service to the student, you know, it's also
1: helping them be in an environment where they're also ready to learn. Right. So we, one of the interesting things we hear a lot of is like, well, in team sports, you know, you, you have to be there in person, right? Like it has to be in person. You have to be there in team practice. The reality is, is what the science show is learning in team practice is actually one of the worst environments to learn. Why? You're very vulnerable in front of your peers and especially a lot of kids struggle with that and they're anxious. They don't want to be wrong. They don't want to be taught. They're wondering what their friends are saying. So being able to understand like what the environment is and how do you tailor something so that it puts them in the right mind to actually learn. is one of the nice things we've done here at Blaze by focusing on extremely personalized one-to-one, you take away all of that noise and you can also let them go and listen to the coaching session in the right time, The not even, not even just the right time, but also in the right spot, the right frame of mind. How do you approach this? How do you come back to it? I think that a lot of coaches fail to
0: recognize the environment the learner's in as well. Yeah. Yeah, I like that point because I, I, you know, and this is really probably good advice for getting started. It's figuring out what practice you're doing. I I used Mm -hmm. to share this, not to keep going down the golf rabbit hole, but I I used to keep, I used to share this a lot. And it's probably similar with, with, uh, you know, race car driving or, or tennis or anything else. It's like, am I doing more block practicing? You know, I'm hitting 57 irons because I'm working on one motion, maybe with my Mm -hmm. downswing, or is it, practice where I'm going I'm playing and I'm not thinking about that thought I'm actually so like what type of practice am I doing which ultimately really So to your point it's not always like I got to be there hitting you know hitting with certain people or whatever it there's a time where sometimes you want to sit back just like you're in the film room as you were mentioning at the beginning like you're doing the video analysis that's important to be able to ultimately maybe move you two steps ahead you know yeah exactly exactly you nailed it You know, I was curious. Had a thought down here. I wrote earlier. I want to make sure I don't miss it because one of the things that comes up a lot in this podcast is around identity. Mm -hmm. And you were the professional, you know, the professional driver, right? Mm -hmm. Was that tough for you leaving that sport full time? Was was it challenging mentally to be able to say when people are like, "Oh, hey, how's the driving going?" And you're like, "Well, you know, dude,
1: I literally just deal with this. Like this last weekend." Uh, I just sent a, a tweet because I was like kind of just dealing with the emotions of this a little bit because it's, it's sometimes tough where, you know, five years ago I was going to VIR, Virginia International Raceway. I was getting paid to drive race cars, sign autographs, you know, be the, the rock star. Five years later, I'm going to the same racetrack to cold talk to people, to pass out flyers, to, to do all of this. That's tough, man. Like that's, it that sucks. <laughs> it's not fun, but do you you look at sort of, it's part of the process, right? It's part of like, where do I want to go? What's going to move the needle today? And if it's going to move the needle, I'm going to suck it up I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. Was there anything that helped you get through that or maybe still helping you? Any Any practices you put into play or-
1: um, you know, yes, uh, one of the things I've, that I've done recently is, you know, there's always a ton of pressure, a ton of stress, a ton of anxiety, like are we doing the right things, are we succeeding, you know, business is so much slower moving than sports, I can't just do yeah. something and see the immediate impact. I often get caught at looking at the output metrics, the, the revenue, the new customers, the growth. Oftentimes, if I'm able to take a step back and really focus much more on the input metrics it's able to give me more faith in, in what I'm doing. And like this weekend, if I was just focused on oh, how many more customers do we have? What's the, how much revenue we have it would suck. But if I'm able to look at, I know passing out these flyers and talking to people, that's the input that's going to drive the output. This is all for a reason. I know that this is going to affect what I care about. And my identity is now tied to the revenue, the growth, the all of that type of stuff. Which is not a great thing. It's a problem, and something you to work on that a little bit. But yeah. trying to like separate away inputs to outputs and be able to focus much more on the inputs, things I can control to
0: drive those outputs, I think has really helped me. What do you, you know, because this is your, the first company you started, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what is like one of those things you've learned where you're like, oh my, like if I could do this again, I would do blank.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot, and I'm still having a lot of those, right? For me, probably the trap that I get caught on, caught in quite a lot, is I'm like, you know, if only I could afford to hire this person, I could be doing this thing. So rather than just trying to do some of it myself, even if it's crap, even if it's not great, at least be able to just start it, not just thinking to myself, well, I got to be able to hire an expert. I can't do this unless I hire an expert that little trap is really easy to get caught in. And what I can tell you now is I've been able to hire those people. They're better than me for sure, but they're not so much better than like, it's surprising how much I can pick up and learn a little bit and just get started myself. And like, man, I really could have been 60 or 40% of the way there if I just started this earlier and then scaled that to what I could and then bring someone else in. It's almost a
0: confidence thing a little bit there. If That makes sense. You mean, you want to, you want to be able to show that you could do it or at least learn it before you bring someone in or, you know, for me,
1: it was a lack of confidence. Like, oh, I couldn't, I don't even know where to start. I don't like, I'm going to be so terrible at this. I need to just mm. hire somebody. I need to wait for somebody because I'm not going to be. And then I hired them. I'm like having conversations with them and I'm like, oh wait, I can, I can sort of hold my own here a little bit. I could have done some of this myself. So for me, the confidence was more myself to just get started with it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, And at least make some progress in that area before bringing someone else in. So you kind of get caught in this trap of this is my area of expertise. Don't get outside of that to stay in your area of expertise and wait to hire someone here. But oftentimes you can't wait to hire someone there. You have to be doing a thousand things at once and you have to be willing to suck at some
0: of it in the beginning. Mm. Did you all decide to go the route of bootstrapping to get it going? Or did you get some, you know, outside funding or friends and family stuff? Or
1: yeah. So uh we we raised a tiny bit early on. Um, and then the hope was, hey, let's raise some more money, but it literally took us a lot longer to go out and raise, right? So we've now raised close to just under a million dollars. And we've raised it from people like Jason Callicanis and gotten to the launch accelerator, and, and now we're we're kind of really kind of hitting our stride a little bit there, but it wasn't immediate. And like, I've literally tried to fundraise for two years. So it ended up being a lot more bootstrapping of the, of the company to get to the point where we could really start to attract investors. Now, now we've
0: kind of gotten to that point. How did you think, cause this has come up a lot in the podcast. Like, how did you think about like, because I, I imagine you're going into those investing meetings and you're not you know, getting no's or it's delayed or whatever, but still having to work on the business on the, on the other side of it. You got to go home and work on the business. How did you make choices? Like if the funding wasn't there to be mm-hmm. able to choose like, hey, we're going to do app development versus this. Like, was that hard to, to choose those yeah, things? or Yeah, totally.
1: Um, no, it, it totally is hard. Now I'm lucky to where I got a co-founder that really bought in on this with me and he's fully alongside me. And he could really focus a lot on the technical development. And the the choice we made is we are both not fundraising. That's the waste of time. That's the area that I'm going to be better at. Um, let me handle that. Let me handle the marketing. Let me handle where the product's going. I just need you to build the thing, right? And, and that comes across way more. The, the lines are much more blurred than that, but at a very high level, right? right. That's the way the path we did. Um, and like when we went through the launch accelerator, it's 15 weeks of pitching 10 to 12 VCs a week, plus follow-up meetings and following up. And it's literally a full-time job on top of your full-time job. So for me, it was, Hey, I'm going to hunker down for these next five months. Uh, it was probably like four, no, it was about five months. Um, there's, there's, I'm just working two jobs essentially at this point. And, yeah, we probably slacked. The, like the marketing probably wasn't as good as it could be, or some of the the you know partnerships didn't grow as quickly as we we could be because I was my brain was being operated by this thing more than than advertising the marketing stuff like that, but. You, you've got to be able to, if you're going to run a business, you got to know what you've you got to be able to figure out your priorities. You got to be willing to make a bet on those priorities. should be You could be wrong. Oftentimes I'm wrong, but you got to say, this is the path. This is priority one, two, three, and four. And that's how I'm going to schedule my time off of it. Uh, and I checked in with our co- my co founder and our team, and we kind of walked through it and we've kind of arrived at the decision as a team. I form my priorities and I get through what I can get through um,
0: in that order, if that makes sense. So you've done dozens and dozens of pitches to hundreds, hundreds to hundreds, <laughs> multiple dozens. Um, is Um If you had to, you know, dispel it down to what you knew at the beginning to what you knew at the end of that process, mm-hmm. is there one or two kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, you know, tips and tricks or thoughts, yeah. if someone's going into that things, mm-hmm. they should consider at least to make those more beneficial.
1: So I think, understanding, uh, there's a few, right? I think number one, you've got to understand who your audience is and like where they're coming from. So how you pitch an angel investor is very different than how you pitch a VC. I learned that the first time I walked into a VC pitching the same as an angel. And they're like, dude, I know all of us are like, not, I know all of us already, but like, I know, like get to the stuff that matters where an angels, you have to kind of explain the market, explain what you do. VCs are um, like, this is what they do for a living, so you get past all that. So first and foremost, like understanding the messaging for who you're talking to. Um, number two would be know why you're raising. Um, so like you, you often hear the question, like should I bootstrap or should I raise money? Um, and I, I listened to you know a few different podcasts as well, and I heard some people talk about this. And the one guy was like, "Well, that's a stupid question." um and i, I kind of like that because the answer behind it was it's a it, it's you that's not the question the question is if i raise money what is that going to change in the company what am i going to use this mm-hmm. money for and if you don't have an answer for that you're not going to raise any money right so i think you, number 2 of this is understand how much you're raising, why you're raising that much, what is it going to achieve in the business fundamentals? Like, what are you going to de-risk in the business for probably the next round? Because if you're raising venture capital money, you're you're on this treadmill. Whether you like it or not, you're going to talk about what the next round is, especially if you're in the pre-seed, seed, seed, series A stage, because a lot of those investors make their money on markups and series B and stuff like that. Um, So being able to kind of hit them with that. I think the third part is storytelling matters. I hear so many people like, you know, I, they, they, don't, they don't get it. You know, it, they just completely missed what we were trying to say. And I'm like, that's on you. I'm like, you've got to learn how to tell your story. And I will say one of the best things from going through kind of Launch Accelerator and being able to work with Jason Calacanis is what he's phenomenal at is being able to explain what your product does better than you. Like he literally took five minutes to hear what we did. He's like, Oh, so you just kind of like do this, this, and this. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's so much better of a way to explain it than I even explained it. And he kind of framed like, this is the order order of how you should tell the story. Here's like what the important metrics are. There's one slide that really matters. So distilling stuff back. If you have your first meeting, not trying to give too much information, trying to hit on the things that really matter. So they're left with a very clear idea of what your company does where you are today and sort of the important metrics and what's the money that you're trying to raise? What is that going to do for the company? What is it going to do risk
0: Yeah. Oh, great thoughts there. I, when you were saying about the that second point, and maybe think of on Shark Tank, the companies get beat up a lot for that question where they're like, all right, what are you going to do with the $500,000? dollars like, (laughs) if you don't have a good answer prepared, why am I invested in you? (laughs) It's yeah. Like, what are you going to take that money and run with it? Like, what are you going to do? Like, at some point you gotta, you gotta know that there's money there. Um, And the the real answer is like, uh, if, if you're at the, if you're at the pre-seed and seed
1: stage, you probably don't have the best answer for that. I can't say, well, I'm going to acquire 72,000 um, people by spending X amount of dollars here, X amount of dollars here, because I know exactly what my customer acquisition costs are and I know my lifetime. Like that's series, that's a series A, series B, series C. But you have to have a plausible plan. You have to have a, bet, a strategy on how it's going to work. It has to make sense. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to storytelling a little bit, but it also comes back to some strategy and like what, what you can do differently than competitors, or what others have done.
0: Well, I, they probably you know just want to know that you have some vision. Like, you're not exactly. just out there wandering aimlessly in the, you know, <laughs> yeah. in the ether, if you will. Um, exactly, exactly. So, what uh, what are y'all hopeful? Like, where are you at now? What are you hopeful for? Let's say the next six to twelve months with the business. Yeah.
1: So you know, we've we've been very fortunate to find a lot of customers that absolutely love what we do, especially in the motorsport side, right? That's where we started because I was the first coach on the platform. You know, we've worked with probably a thousand amateur race car drivers and motorcycle riders and go karters um and, and really kind of grown that pretty successfully so really my major focus now is proving out this model in more traditional sports um so we have our mobile app app actually ios app launching literally this week um and with that we're, we're really focused on soccer especially more women's soccer um so i'm hopeful by the end of this year we'll have a few hundred youth girl athletes that are connected with nwsl coaches through our platform Coaches are making, uh, you know, a few thousand bucks a month, working with hundreds of kids and those kids have better access to coaching. That's really my focus over the next six months. And then I'll probably also starting to scale, um, into some additional sports like basketball or cross or volleyball. Um, and we're not trying to go into 35 sports at once. We're trying to get a little bit of depth in each sport, but hopefully starting to launch into our like fifth sport, uh, a little bit later this year. Mm, that's great, man. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, it's 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 great to see again, just kind of like the enthusiasm, the passion. And I think probably you have a you probably have a softer heart, maybe. I don't know if that's the best phrasing of it. Like you are in the sport, like you know what it takes to get to an elite level. So being able to kind of help other folks, they may not get to an elite level. Most people don't.
1: No, but at least matter. being able,
0: but yeah, but at least being able to improve again for kids. I mean, again, I know this is a parent, it's like just making them have more fun, making them happier with the outcome, whatever that is. Maybe they hit the ball in that more than they did the previous Mm -hmm. time. So I think being able to bring that back to folks and just get better coaching, I think that's a great mission to have. uh,
1: And look, what we've now, I kind of go back to like when I first started this and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, how do I help grow motorsports? And I thought the registration site, but now, what the more that we dive into kind of the science of what we're trying to do here, and like what's happened in youth sports, where I think we're all a little concerned about what's going on in participation rates of youth sports right now, what we found is that number one retention issue in youth sports is a lack of, a, a really, a lack of progress, creating frustration, and then the kids say like, "I suck. Why am I doing this? I'm not getting any better." and then plateauing and falling out. And it's not just kids, right? Like most of my customers are 55-year-olds, affluent males driving race cars. And like what drives them out of the sport is plateauing, getting frustrated, lack of improvement. And that you start to have less fun and then they drop out of sports, right? So one is I really know that we can grow sports. We can have higher retention through higher quality personalized coaching. The second part of this is, The science, there's a a study called Bloom's Two Sigma Problem. And essentially what they did was a study on general learning, kind of one-to-many versus one-to-one coaching. And what they found is if they took this the average kid in the 50th percentile and you gave them access to -to one-to-one coaching, that average kid jumped into the 98th percentile. They went from the average to the top 2% with one change, which was access to personalized coaching, but it's not been accessible. It's not been affordable. So I look at, hey, we're in sports today. We're majorly focused in sports, but we're we're not building a sports coaching company. We're building a coaching company. And we want to break down those barriers to access to something that is like, it makes you like superhuman when you've got someone that knows what they're talking at your back, working one-on-one with you. Um, So I think we have a really special opportunity to be
0: an enhancement to a lot of people's lives. So let's, uh, this has been a great conversation. Let's end on this and you could take it from whatever angle you want. I'm not mm-hmm. going to put you into it, but you know, I like to say, if someone's, you know, trying to get started today, mm-hmm. so you could take this from what you learned in your professional career. This mm-hmm. could be starting a business could be whatever, maybe you learn from, from coaching, mm-hmm. but someone's getting started today. Maybe, you know, I like to say they have a post-it note, you know, they're writing something on to stick on their, their computer to to help them. Um, what would you share with them? Any advice, a quote, anything you live by that would be the most impactful? Honestly, um,
1: stop thinking about it and go out and make the first step. So for example, I I have a a little idea for a side business that would be really easy to run that I think can make a couple like a, a couple thousand bucks a month on the side. I'm not trying to raise money for it. I'm not trying to spend a lot of time for it. It's something I know nothing about. Um, the first thing I'm doing is I found others that have done something in a different niche. I'm understanding what, what services are they using? Uh, how do they go about it? I went out and bought their product to look at it. And I'm today, later tonight, I'm going to get started. I'm going to literally go sign up. Like I'm going to make the commitment. I'm going to say, I'm going to get the software that I need to run this program. It's not thousands of dollars. Luckily it's like 20 bucks a month. I'm going to go out and buy that thing, even though I have nothing else ready, because it gets me committed, gets me going. So for me, stop thinking about it. Don't worry if it's going to make you thousands of dollars or if it's going to look like crap and you're going to fail. Like, doesn't that, that matters? It's all about execution. Just make the first step. Figure out what the first step is, the easiest step, and just commit.
0: Yeah. You get that small step. Just like for, you know, it's like showing up at the racetrack. You may not get in the car the first day, but you're there. You at least, you know, you at least committed to to doing it. You're around the right people. You're, you're doing, you're doing what 99% of people that aren't doing. Yeah. All right. So where can everyone uh, check out the business? Say hello to you online. What are all the details? Yeah,
1: totally. So uh, if you want to learn more about Blaze, we're at blaze.io. It's B-L-A-Y-Z-E.io. Um, we have tons of you know sports and tons of free articles. And just go check that out. Uh, honestly, if you just do the contact form there. It goes right to me. I do all of our customer support. Um, So you can do that or you can find me. I'm very active on Twitter uh, at DionVMR. So D-I-O-N-V-M-R. Give me a follow there. I love to interact. Shoot me a DM. Uh, If I can be helpful, give advice, whatever it is, just feel free to contact me. I'm I'm here
0: um, and love to just jam on different ideas and try to be helpful. Awesome, Dan. That's been a blast, man. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing some wisdom with everyone. I appreciate it. Absolutely,
1: Brian. Appreciate all the work that you're doing for people across the country and and getting started. Um,
0: And thanks for having me on. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you are enjoying this podcast, I'd encourage you to head over to my website, BrianAndreco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the top right corner. There you'll find my newsletter, which goes out once a week, and is more of a digest of various things that I've uncovered whether it's a podcast, an article, or a video, something of that nature to help you get more informed and get started and keep moving forward on your journey. Secondly, my blog, which goes out three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, is more of a micro-blog, one-to-five-minute reads to get you thinking a little bit differently and help you along the way. I really am grateful for you being here on this episode, and thanks for the support of the podcast. And if I can be a resource in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again and hope to connect soon. Take care.